while I, was, I am definitely disappointed that I was one game from making the pro tour, you can't you can't be too disappointed when you feel like you played nah. well. And at the very least, hey, I am queued for the next RPT when I don't have to play that modern. Is off the top. He's done the map. Oh, he sends it in. Draws, extends the hand. There it is. John Pickle wins. What's going on? He can't attack. Is he just, oh, oh, that cost no. him the game. Oh, that cost him no. the game. What Come is on, on top of the deck? What is on top of the deck? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Cued the Podcast. I'm Brad Egerton. Here with me is Matthew Dimitruck. Matthew Dimitruck. Your full name this time. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, we just had the RPTQ this past week. And as I've told some of you on Twitter, I was one game away from the Pro Tour and came up short. I made top eight on Jabberwocky's Red Black Aggro list. And. I made it, made the top eight, and I played my quarterfinal match against uh, Andrew Solano, who was also on Red Black, and he won game one, I won game two, then game three ended up being really close, uh, but I came up short, so. <laughs> yeah, the the stalling out on lands probably didn't help you out either. That's true. I, I, uh, when I When I drew my opening hand... I looked at it and I'm like, okay, this is a hand I can definitely win with. It was pretty strong. I think it went, uh, it had a lot, a good bit of removal and Glorybringer and um, I believe a Phoenix in it. And I never got past my third land. So, um, but it happens. Yeah, no, that looked rough. <laughs> it was rough. Um, but I mean, Andrew is a very strong player and, you know, I commend him on his win and congrats, congratulations to him on on queuing for the pro tour again when i sat down with him I'm like so you've been to the pro tour quite a few times i i think right and he's like yeah quite a few he's he asked me if i had ever been and i was i told him i had not um yeah no andrew uh, solano was the one who um in the old ptq system when i was vying for uh winning into the top eight he was the one who knocked me out pretty similar fashion you know in game three i got hung up on three lands with uh naya pod against blue black tezzeret so yeah i definitely know the feeling yeah he's he's a very good player so i mean if i don't make it at least i i lost to someone who's who's a uh, you know very strong oh so. yeah he's he comes with a pretty good local resume so yeah absolutely so i've been talking to a few guys on twitter uh who's who've been asking about the deck because i know we have another rptq the second round of this rptq um cycle is this next sunday so I believe the ones like out in California and Missouri and a few other places, they're, they're RPTQs this next week. So um, be happy to go through a tournament report real quick. Um, and then I'll also post a link to my sideboard guide for anyone who's interested in that. Um, so as far as my list, I know we talked about this a lot last week. Our episode was, was called In Jabberwocky We Trust. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> But Logan Nettles, he, he created a really strong list. Uh, as I said last week, I think his list is is the most tuned red-black list. And I pretty much ran his exact 75 minus. I took out one of the insult to injury and replaced it with another copy of Hazaret, a third copy of Hazaret in the board. And the reason I did that is just because in a lot of the mirror testing online, uh, Hazaret is just the strongest card in it. Um, 
it's your biggest haymaker because it's the most resilient and the hardest to kill. Uh, Phoenix is really good too, but you know the combo you kind of learn when you're in the mirror is uh, kill the Phoenix at the beginning of their combat step and then follow it up with a Chain Whirler. Uh, Hazaret, yeah. you pretty much have to combo combo kill Soul Scar Mage plus Chandra's defeat and have your Soul Scar Mage live in response. So, um, so Hazaret is is uh, you want? I feel like I wanted my third copy and uh, it was very good. Like I um. I did pretty well against uh, red in general. Ended up a 2-2 split against red ducks. But anyways, so for the whole tournament in Swiss, I went 6-1. and one. Round 1 actually was my only loss in the Swiss. I played it in the, the red-black mirror. And I, I lost uh, one games to two. And it was just a, a very bad game for me. But uh, Yeah, that seems how like a bunch of the mirror matches go. The first one to Hazaret or Phoenix usually comes out ahead in that one. Yeah, so I turned it around in round two. I played against Bant in mid-range, which actually, uh, we also mentioned this. Sean is not on this episode, unfortunately, but we mentioned it on Twitter. He took down the LCQ the day before at the same store uh, on on this Bant mid-range list. It's a Bant mid-range, I call it horsey boggles. <laughs> um, it Basically, the combo is Vine Mare plus On Sarah's Wings. And it's a very strong combo, and it's very hard for Red to deal with if they assemble it. But uh, I was on the play game one and game three, and combo that with unlicensed disintegration, and I just put a a pretty fast clock on them they weren't able to deal with. So took that game, that match down two to one, and then round three took down Mono Green two to one. I feel like Logan Nettles' Red Blacklist is just very favored against Mono Green. It didn't really feel that like that uh, difficult of a matchup. Round four, I played against Mono Red Wizards, and I feel like Red Black is definitely favored against Wizards, but my opponent did just draw very, very horribly. He molded to four on game one, and then game two, I slammed Hazard pretty quickly. <laughs> I feel overall Red Black is heavily favored against Wizards, so just because of all the removal you bring in, not to mention the extra Hazard I had, uh, really helped. And then Blue White Control, I, f- I two had them in round five. I feel like it was a mistake to play blue white control, so I was really glad I was not on blue white control. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then round six, I thought this round was my end and my win and end because I was I was four and one, and there were seven total rounds, and I'm like, okay, I win this, and I can just ID round seven, and I'm in the top eight. But and I two would my opponent; he was on mono red wizards, and come to find out, we look at the standings, and my tiebreakers are not good, so. We all kind of gathered around, and I, I talked with with you, Matt and Sean, and we were just like, "I think you're going to have to play." And I'm like, Shh. "Yeah, it was a good choice that you did decide to play because I think if you would have ID'd, you would have uh, potentially missed out on the top eight. Yeah, I, I am glad I got to. Got, I just decided to play it out for sure. Um, I mean, looking at the standings, it's just it was too close. Um, and plus, I was playing. I mean. My my win percentage on this deck is pretty good, so I felt pretty confident going into it, anyways. So um, I didn't I didn't end up having to play against Esper Control though, which can be a difficult matchup. But my opponent did not draw that many Veraska's Contests, and that's uh, that's usually how that matchup will go. If they if they can't kill your uh, your haymakers, it's really hard for them for them to win, um, no matter how many Gear Hulks they drew. He drew like three or. Four 
all four of his gear hulks in game two? Yeah, I, th I think in game two he drew all four gear hulks, but he couldn't flashback Varaskis contempts with them. Yeah. Which, like you just said, was the turning point of the game. Yeah. So I ended up 2 0ing him, and um, after that, I was 6 and 1, and for sure in the top eight, I ended up being the two seed. Um, we were the one seed and the two seed. We're both at eight, 18 match points, and uh, he just barely edged me out on the tiebreakers. So I, I ended up having to play against Andrew Solano, as I said, in the quarterfinals, and he was also in red-black aggro. And game... yeah, He looked like he was on the same exact list as you, actually. Yeah, he looked like he was on the Jabberwocky variant. Um, I think my, f my round one opponent was on more of a Jerry Thompson-type build because she had Karns in her sideboard. Yeah, um, which I don't really like, but it was very good for her in that round. But I, f I feel like uh, I'd rather just draw Hazaret because having a card on the board does nothing when it's staring down a Hazaret. That's true. Anyways, um, game one, it was very, very close. Um, I basically th felt like I was I had the game in hand. Uh, he was at four life, and I played a Chandra, and it was a very close play. I felt like I, m I may have misplayed. Talking with you and Sean, you guys said it, you didn't feel like it was a misplay. Andrew was holding in a braid in hand, and so so it, it wasn't a misplay because like you know we looked at it earlier and like like there's no way you could put him on a braid, and you can't really play around it at that point. And so if you didn't play the yeah. Chandra, you know he was going to shoot your heart of cure and blocker anyway. Yeah. So it was still lethal. So I mean he just he just happened to have his one out to get out of that situation. Yeah, and I, I was not putting him on a braid. He had one card in hand. My Heart of Karen had smacked. We were in a board stall. He was at 12 life uh, a few turns earlier, and I'm like, okay, I just need to you know, uh, leave up a bunch of chump blockers and just uh, swing in with Heart of Karen three times in a row, and I'll win. And yeah. he, did not, he did not kill <laughs> you know, Heart of Karen all the way up until then, and I'm like, okay, he only ha has to have a braid to be able to get out of this, and he has not killed Heart of Karen yet. So when I played the Chandra, um, like I said, he was at four, he was at four life. So I could have upticked and put him at two, but he had a ton of blockers out and there's no way for me to get the final two damage in. So I was going to have to survive the next combat. So I had, since I did have a soul scar mage out, I figured I could minus on, uh, minus with Chandra on his Hazaret, kill his Hazaret. And if that happens, I, I, I there's just no chance of me losing the game because um, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> no chance. Um, and I'm like, he has to have a removal spell and I'm like, I don't put him on a removal spell because he, he just had to have been, you know, bow guarding it for at least a turn. And, um, <laughs> turns out yeah. that he had, he had the abrade. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that line you took was about the best. Your only other option would have been to, you know, not crew with a creature on your heart of Kirin. And then use Chandra to crew and this uptake Chandra and swing with heart and then hold back another blocker and then you could crew with the Chandra. But at the same time, like that's still too conservative because like you said, you were trying to end the game by killing his Hazaret. So yeah. I feel like the minus on the Chandra with the Soul Scrimmage was still correct. Like I said, he, he had to have the Abrade because I think he only had two mana untapped yeah. at the same time too. So like I'm even unlicensed disintegration doesn't pull him out of it. Like he had to have a braid. Yeah. So, I mean, he, it was just unlucky. Yeah, it was very close. But um, I, I kept questioning myself, wondering if it was a misplay. So after talking with you guys afterwards, I felt a little bit better. 
Yeah, um, no, there, there was just literally nothing you could do. You took your yeah. optimal line to win the game. So Yeah. Game two, I came back, and uh, I won pretty handily. I curved uh, Phoenix into Glorybringer, and he scooped. And then game three, like I said, I look at my opening hand. I'm like, this hand is great as long as I curve out and did not draw my fourth line. And uh, yeah. uh, my opponent ended up going to the Pro Tour. But. Yeah, he just... He had a really good hand, and he went runner, runner, Phoenix, into glory bringer. So, I mean, he had the yeah. hand you had game two. <laughs> he did. And uh, like I said, hats off to him. He played he played really well, um, and he definitely deserves to be there. So, Yeah, he's uh, a very good player. Yeah, a very friendly guy, too. I enjoyed playing against him. So, uh, Also one of those, like, you know, um, whenever, whenever I lost to him at the PTQ finals or whatever, you know, he was one of those that, you know, he gives constructive criticism. So, like... You know, if you ever play him again, you could ask him, like, so did I see any misplays that you saw? And he will actually tell you, yeah. like, the optimal lines he took. And that's, like, a really good way to learn because he's very knowledgeable about the game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things, like, that's, you know, you even learn from your losses the best way you can so that hopefully you can improve in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, while I, was, I am definitely disappointed that I was one game from making the Pro Tour, it was definitely you can't you can't be too disappointed when you feel like you played. Nah, well. you just can't one. dwell on you. You just can't dwell on it um, forever. Yeah. And like you had a, a really good run after starting zero and one. Like most people would not have been able to pull that off. Yeah. So I mean, you still and that was your first RPTQ as a solo. So I mean, that's still a really big accomplishment. There's lots of people who have gone to multiple RPTQs and not even sniffed the top eight. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And at the very least, hey, I am queued for the next RPTQ, and I don't have to play that modern. Is big. I don't have to play uh, in modern season anymore. So. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> That's great. So before we do jump into modern, like we do have a few people, like I said, that are going to be playing next week. So I guess let's just talk briefly about what we recommend for this weekend. I think it's pretty simple. I would just play this red blacklist from Jabberwocky. Yeah, I mean, it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. And yeah. with a little amount of time left in standard, just play the deck that is you know well proven and well true. There's no yeah. reason to get cute or try to out meta game it. You know, you don't have enough time to find a deck that beats the red deck. Just so I mean, you just gotta draw hot, literally, with you being red. And if you do, you should have success. Yeah. And out of all the competitive leagues and the and including the RPTQ as well. If you take my win percentage and you not count mirrors, like my win percentage is astronomical. Like I think it's probably eighty-five percent. Yeah, no, the, the deck literally feels the closest we've had to a standard Jun deck since Shards of Alara. And I mean that's saying something because we've had some like pretty you know hardcore attritiony decks, but this one just feels the most complete we've had in a while, probably since Delver. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest hesitations a lot of people have before picking up the deck is they feel uh, it's going to be hard to get a, an edge, especially in the mirror and just against a lot of decks. A lot of people are gunning for this deck. But I just feel like this deck is just so resilient. And Yeah, I mean, so it, a lot of people are gunning for the deck, but just looking at the top eight, it's still put, uh, or top eight of the RPGQ, that is, it's still put four copies in the top eight. Was so, it four like, copies? Yeah, oh, so wow. the top eight was two red or two green blacks, one esper, uh, four red blacks, and then a mono red wizards. Mm. And red black won, I think, uh, two of the matches. So two of the four went on. So and it's then, just like you know. And then I think esper well, control and then, and then beat I'm, the other one. And then I was beat by another. One, so yeah, so like only it, it one had of a 50, them. Only one of them actually lost. Or, yeah, so I, I, two. I, 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 
two out of the three matches the that was that was going to win were actually won. So I mean, it's just like you know, it, it. There are some factors that come into the mirror match. One, if you're on the play, it makes huge dividends. And B, your sideboard plan, you know, whether or not you want to stay aggressive or whether or not you want to sideboard into the red control like Jun deck. Yeah. But, I mean, that is, either way, like I said, I mean. Yeah, this list is built very well for that. So what I love about it is it has three Magma Sprays and three Chandra's Defeat in the sideboard. So you're just bringing in so much cheap removal. And you pair that, like, my version is, you know, I play an extra Hazaret as well. It just makes Hazaret so much better in the mirror. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, I take out some of my Chandras, and it's just uh, the game is the mirror. Pretty much comes down to early. You're just killing everything because both players are going to board in all the removal, so it's just hard for anything to stick. Scrap heap scrounger is kind of good there, so it does help to have magma sprays for those. And then after that, once once both your hands start to become grounded down a bit, and you have like one or two cards in hand. Then it's just about whose who's haymakers stick. You know, yeah. uh, it's about who's who swings with Glorybringer and doesn't have it defeated. Who plays Phoenix and your opponent only has one removal spell left in hand. Um, just things like that. So, yeah, I think I would definitely play this deck. I just don't see anything else that comes even close. I don't no, think. I mean, I at this point, like I said, the whole brewing process is kind of obsolete right now because. This deck is clear-cut the proven best deck in standard. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to go to an RPTQ, you're better off rolling with Because also, this deck is just, like, not a dog to anything. It's so well-tuned. It's right at 50-50, even with its bad matchups. Yeah, absolutely. And control is just not where I think anybody should be right now. Like, I felt... No. I... I <laughs> I felt kind of bad for control opponents this weekend, or this past well, weekend. Well, so like, Esper still has a slight edge over red, but it comes down to how many Veraska's Contempts they get. Like, if they yeah. don't get Veraska's Contempts, they're not favored at all. Yeah, it just goes down to this, that that same philosophy of you have to hope to draw the answer to their threat. Like, I would much rather present a threat and have my opponent have to deal with it. Yeah, you know? no, for sure. It, it definitely punishes people for um, slipping. So. For drawing the wrong half of their deck. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but anyways, uh, for anyone that is interested in the sideboard guide, I'm going to post that in the show notes. Um, I, I'll have pretty much every, every of the, all the main matchups, uh, listed. Uh, so anybody who wants to pick up the deck, I highly recommend it. It's very, very strong. And as I mentioned last week, if you're wanting to see someone play it, uh, you can't do better than just watching Logan Nettles' stream. Just go to twitch.tv slash, uh, Anyways, um, as as we said, it is still modern season, so I guess some people are going to want to hear us talk a little bit about modern. <laughs> yeah, I mean, modern's still as random as ever. <laughs> yeah, I've been talking about this with a lot of people locally, and modern is a great like it's very it's it's a very popular format, isn't? A lot of people enjoy it. But I think the people who don't enjoy it are the people who are actually trying to win a tournament, especially right. PPTQs, <laughs> when you're trying I, to I, win a tournament to get to another tournament. Yeah. So, like, so the one of the reasons that people like modern is the cards don't rotate, so they don't feel um, sketched out or scared to actually invest in like you know a six or seven hundred dollar deck over time. Whereas with standard, everyone knows that you know those cards have a shelf life, right? So you're kind of basically saying, okay, cool, I'm going to invest in this for 
X amount of months and then I'm going to have to sell them again. And it's just more and more buying and selling, buying and selling. So modern is like a form is kind of like a cheaper version of legacy in which the cards don't rotate and there's rarely a ban. So you should feel safe in investing in a deck that, you know, you like to play. And if the deck is good for like a month, say like boggles, it, it's never going to be bad because people are just going to completely forget about the deck and the deck comes around. So you're better off just sticking with the deck that you enjoy to play and like to play. And you have just as good of a chance at winning as say like a tier deck, like humans, you know, it's, it's one of those formats. And that's honestly one of the things that makes it a nightmare for PTQs because not a lot of people play the tier decks. They play what they have access to. Right. So there you could go into an event with 40 people and there's 35 different decks, in which case it makes your sideboard obsolete because you can't sideboard for 35 different decks. Yeah. And maybe you do have a slightly better win percentage on the tier decks. I mean, that's, I guess why they're tier one tiered, you know, Tier one yeah, it's, five just, or whatever. it's just not as it's much not of a difference as, to yeah. make, you know, make it tier one or tier a two. A lot of times it's negligible, and that's why you see so much variance in top eights. So, Right. Um, modern, modern is a very fun format if you go into a tournament. like So if you play in an Open or you play in a Grand Prix where that's the only tournament you have to play in, Modern is fine. Modern is very enjoyable because you're saying, okay, cool, well, if I spike this tournament with my deck – I'm going to the show or I'm making a lot of money, not, yeah, you okay, just have I'm to get take this. Once. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to take this deck to a PPTQ and then, okay, cool. Now I got to play this at an RPTQ and go through this again on a different day where your deck could draw cold when it was drawing hot, you know? Yeah. Yep. There's just, you have to, ha- you have to experience a lot of positive, a lot of positive variants on your draws twice. Right. I, I don't so. think modern is a garbage format by any means. It's just, for me personally, standard is a lot more enjoyable because it's a lot yeah. more fun to try to out edge your opponent when, you know, there's five or six decks that are real and standard, then your sideboard becomes relevant. So it becomes more like a chess match on the sideboarding and predicting and all that stuff versus just, okay, well, I'm going to sit down against blue red thing in the ice. Oh, I have no sideboard cards for this. So I'm just going <laughs> to have to try to beat them with my 60. Yeah. <laughs> or like if you're an affinity pilot and you're like, okay, does my opponent draw stony silence or not? Right. Okay, they did. I guess I lose. Right. Okay, I mean, have to hope they lost, don't draw it next one. I lost to a Stingleton Worship at the last um, modern PTQ I did when I was on Affinity, and I didn't draw my Singleton copy of Wear and Tear, so I lost. <laughs> yeah, and uh, another example of uh, when I played in uh, Open recently, I was on Burn, and I had three copies of Ensnaring Bridge in the sideboard, and I played against a human's opponent. And he just had the game completely dominated. Like, his board state was just crazy. Like, he had a, a 5-5 champion of the parish, you know, like a you know, a 4-4 Thalia's lieutenant, Thalia's lieutenant. And he was going to be swinging for, for lethal the following turn. So I have one draw step, and my draw step is Ensnaring Bridge. Yep. <laughs> and I play it, and he's like, well, I can't win now. <laughs> he, he just gets really salty. And, um, like... Modern, modern is definitely a format where you play it for the long haul. You don't just buy a deck because it's good there and then rotate around. Like it's definitely you buy a deck, you hold on to it, and then you either play it at the big events or you just take a break from modern because that's where modern gets expensive. If you invest into like multiple, multiple, multiple decks, you know that's when it's a yeah. problem. Um, but you know, if you're, if you want to play more of a competitive edge to where, you know, your full 75 becomes relevant, I mean, standard is probably a little bit more accepting. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do want to have access to a few different decks, like I just, 
I think I own three modern decks. I guess no, yeah. I guess four if you count uh, Infect, but I'm missing a few of the pieces since I sold them. Right. So in a, a bunch of us in our little circle, we all have a few modern decks. So um, obviously I'm only going to be playing one deck at, at one time. So, you know, any, yeah. of, any of you guys have access to these <coughs> other decks and vice versa. So it helps to have a competitive community built around it. So Yeah, no, for sure. So there was... Oh, I am also I am also glad that modern season is winding down. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I can't blame you there. Yeah, I'm ready to get back to this uh, to new standard. We should have. Uh, I hope it's healthy, but you know, Ravnica, it could it could be good. Who I knows? mean, we're getting we're getting Convoke back, which um, offers yeah, a lot are. of interesting possibilities. I know that is exciting. I think that the buy a box promo was spoiled or something. So yeah, the the sixteen sixteen indestructible worm. Should should your sixteen sixteen be blocked by nine creatures and risk dying? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess can also can't be hit by uh, destroy target creature effects. But yeah, the best one of those we'll, is rotating. We'll, we'll out talk anyway. into Ravenka spoilers when it's a little closer. <laughs> That's true. So. Anyway, so there was, uh, we did have a Grand Prix this past weekend in Prague, uh, Czech Republic, and it looks like Hardened Scales Affinity took it down. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not really surprised. Like, Affinity is yeah. also one of those decks to where it's not tier one right now. It's like 1.5 right on the cusp, and there's yeah. two different versions, but they run pretty similar. So, I mean, Affinity is one of those that you get free wins if you draw fast enough, so on and so forth. And you know, it's a perfect example. This guy probably ran hot, you know, and yeah. didn't run into the copious amounts of hate that, you know, go out with affinity. So, I mean, it's just yeah. what you got to do. Uh, as far as this list, it looks pretty pretty standard for what most hardened scales affinity lists have done. Um, two Karn Sionivers on the sideboard. It's kind of kind of cool, but yeah, kind of already knew they were doing that. Um, well, so the hardened scales affinity wants to abuse the uh, whole counters aspect, yeah. you know, modular and walking ballista, hanger back walker, so on and so forth. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sweet to see it go off, actually. Like, uh, no, yeah, you get some it's really huge cool. arcmount ravagers and walking ballistas. Yeah, so it's definitely cool. It kind of reminds me of uh, the snake deck in standard back in the day. A yeah, I mean, that's that's a perfect example. It's like modern snake, but with affinity stuff. Yeah. As far as the number two deck, that was Humans, uh, Tho Mary. Um, I mm -hmm. don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but uh, also looks pretty stock. Three Bugler in the main. Um, four Meddling Mage, of course. Just standard, standard stock stuff. Uh, Cunning Spark Mage in the sideboard. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. That's some interesting tech. Um, Comble, Console of Allocation. Two Rex Age. Ooh, and a singleton hostage taker in the sideboard. That's kind of cool. Interesting. Uh, just, got, just standard got, stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got a couple of Bant Spirits in the top eight, two copies of Humans. You know, it's um, like, I mean, the big one, uh, Infect finally top eighted it again. Infect did. I'm an old uh, Infect player. Like, like I mentioned this on a past episode, my first ever day two at a Grand Prix was uh, yeah. on infect so and it's it's the version where the sideboard they had they have uh four geist of saint traft oh sweet and other than that it looks pretty stock to yeah. what blue green infect usually is 
Yeah, that is uh, kind of how Infect has evolved since their old Jutaxian uh, probe days. They've started playing hexproof creatures in the sideboard for those fair decks that just pack all the removal in their deck. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> turns um, out like things like Jund and Burn still have a hard time against Geist of Saint Traft. Yep. Looks like it. So that's pretty cool that they got baited. Um, other than that, looks pretty stock, I suppose. Uh, there's a colorless Eldrazi that came in ninth that utilizes Serum Powder. I mean... Oh, that, um, that old uh, Eldrazi oh, list. Oh, sorry. Um, it's uh, Top 16, it didn't come in ninth. Um, company, came, company came in ninth. Okay. Where is the Eldrazi list? Uh, oh, maybe I, maybe I looked at the wrong event. Uh, yeah, I think I looked at the wrong event. Oh, no yeah, worries. My bad. My bad. <laughs> so, not seeing any copies of Tron anywhere. So, it's Tron. No. Um, oh, there also, it is. 32nd. Woo. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Tron is having a hard time because um, Hollowed One and now the emergence of Bridgevine. Bridgevine is exceptionally fast. Yeah. Um, so, it has a good matchup against the Tron. Uh, Spirits is also... Not bad against Tron because Spell Queller is a hell of a card, and you can just take their Oblivion Stone to wipe their whole board away. Um, So, I mean, there's just, I think the format has shifted again to where it's adapted to Tron. So, I mean, I don't think Tron's a bad deck. I still think it's a fine choice. It's just in that cycle that we just talked about. You know, like, okay, it's the top dog for this month. Next month, who knows, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Martin Martin Music came in 14th with Hollowed One. Hollow, um, Hollow One and Bridgevine, I feel like, are both really strong decks. Like, yeah, Bridgevine um, is a lot of fun to play, too. I will say that. I used to play a version of that with, with uh, Dredge, but it wasn't the exact list, but it was very, very close. It's funny, and Sean gave you so much, uh, <laughs> oh, so yeah. much crap over playing that deck, too. And little yeah. did he know that... Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually played it at a uh, Star City Open where um, round one I played up against Jody Keith and lost a really close um, game three, and then I went eight and one on day one with it to day two, wow. so I went on an 8-0 run with it. Jeez. I mean, yeah. the deck, when it when it goes off, it feels like it should be banned. Like, oh, it, it is. It feels yeah, like it's it, ban-worthy. Like, if you when can it goes get the off. fast starts, yeah, if you can get those fast starts, it is just so busted. It feels very unfair. It's just like you play turn one, Stitcher Supplier, and uh, flip two Vengevines and then play a Ballista. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Swing for eight on turn one. Yeah. It's 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 gross. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a fun deck, and it can also do some, like, gross things. Yeah, so I, w- I would be interested in playing either Hollow One or, or Bridgevine I, right now, I think. Uh, so Bridgevine is one of those things where it would be a lot of fun to play, but since it is so popular right now, it is very, very pricey. It is pricey. <laughs> oh yeah. Vengevine is up to like 50 bucks, I think right now. Oh yeah. Uh, Vengevine, Bridge from Below's are 25. Vengevines are 50. Black Cleave Killiffs are 50 bucks a piece. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Four Leyline of the Voids, Leylines are up to $50 a piece. Yeah. Jeez. So, I mean, it's it's a real pricey deck. I think it's running around $1,200, $1,300. Yeah, man. Well, that is crazy. So, I think those decks are strong choices. Humans continues to be a strong choice. Um, Ironworks, KCI, KCI combos, still a very strong deck for the people who can actually play it right. Right. Um, 
I still enjoy playing Storm too. So, hey, I may, may uh, take that to some casual events well, since I'm not queued. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Not really a whole lot to say about Modern. You kind of just play the deck that you have and hope you draw well. Yeah, you just play, you pick something you enjoy that you know, and then, like I said, you just play some games of Magic and hopefully you're on the positive side of variance. Yeah, it's just completely different for me because when it, whenever I go to a standard or a limited PPTQ, I feel like there's a very good chance I could win. Like I, right. if, if I don't win or if I don't at least top eight, I did horrible and I, I, I'm very disappointed in myself. For right. modern, it's completely different. I'm just, I just have to, I have no idea how I'm going to do. I could go O three 3 and not be really be surprised or I could, you know, top eight, top four, and almost win, and you know, there's just there's not really a feeling of um, being able to outplay my opponent as much as there is in standard and limited. So, yeah, it's frustrating. And I'll just to be completely honest, I'm really glad I'm queued for the next RPTQ and don't have to worry about it. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that that is also very nice. <laughs> yeah. So, but as far as other news going on in the Magic. Um, magic world right now as i'm sure a lot of people are aware of there is a lot of drama in the hall of fame discussion yep <laughs> it is a, a big big drama fest so <laughs> yeah it's so basically what has happened is um yesterday in a podcast um three of the members were discussing their potential votes for how they were going to vote for their hall of fame ballot um session and these three players were pros and, you know, well-known, well-known members of the community. And by when I say well-known, like, they all play on the pro tour. So one of them is in the Hall of Fame and very highly regarded. And the other two are also very highly regarded. Well, they decided to go and openly discuss different players' potential to get voted in. And then they made, which I think was a mistake, on who they would and who they would not vote for. Yeah. Thus condemning themselves and making themselves look bad because it, it makes it look bad to either you've got a problem with that person or it shows your true colors on how you vote and what you actually think and so on and so forth. Yeah. So basically they called out they called a couple of people's morals and ethics to the game in question as opposed to potential cheating or slow playing or things of that nature. And honestly, it, it just made them look really petty. And by them saying, I'm not going to vote for this person because of one instance back here, you know, three or four years ago or two or three months ago. And that's just not the way Hall of Fame voting should be. These players that are on the ballot are on the ballot for a reason. It's not just pro points. It's not just because they're well known. It's because they're ambassadors to the game and they're what younger players or new players look up to or they aspire to be. And when you have them bickering back and forth or accusations back and forth and blowing up on Twitter and causing fights like that, it just puts a negative impact on the game. It makes it look really bad and really petty. Yeah. My main question is why is all this, all of this coming up now? Like why not say something about it back when it actually happened? That's, that's just it. I mean, I think like things like this should have been resolved on the scene in private, not on social media, because let's face it, the media is not, good you know it blows a lot of things out of proportion but i don't know i don't know what possessed them to talk about this for one i think how you vote and who you're going to vote for should be private anyway it shouldn't 
be like, okay, I'm going to vote for this guy or I'm going to vote for this guy. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. It condemns you. Um, and as to why they chose to do this again, it's a mystery. It's what they wanted to do, but it honestly just made them look pretty bad and petty. Yeah, it did. Unfortunately. And, uh, it is good. We're not naming names. So I, I like that you didn't say any names. It's not joining no, the I'm mudslinging. Not, I'm not, I am not going to gossip back and forth on the names. Yeah. I'm just explaining the situation. No. Yeah. I, I like, I think that's a good way to handle it. Um, a really good take on it that I recommend uh, for anyone who's interested in, in, in a good adult mature opinion on this whole topic. I really um, enjoy Patrick's, what Patrick Sullivan said recently on the Cedric Phillips podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. He took a very, um, a very mature view on it and um, just go check out what he said um, on the whole thing. Uh, he basically said, yeah, let's just not have, you know, a player's hall of fame. Let's just have a hall of fame in general of, I agree. Anyone, anyone who means anything to the game. Can be in I agree. Mark song. Rosewater, you know, yeah. um, Marshall Sutcliffe, you know, these are very well known people that can never be in the hall of fame because they're not playing in the pro tour. Yeah. Um, but I will say this, I, I think the pro tour ballot, especially this year is kind of laughable because by, the, by this podcast and exposing the way of voting and the way that some people think, because they also went into like what they would say to vote. It, it just seems like a popularity contest. It reminds me of like a high school dance and you're voting who's going to be prom queen and prom king. Yeah. It's literally just a popularity contest. That, that That's a great example of it basically. Yeah. Like yeah. I believe one of the one of the people in the podcast said that they weren't going to vote for one of the nominees who was a very very strong candidate in my opinion. He's ve- he's very very well known because simply he's too quiet and not a lot of people know who he is. Oh, I know. I, I mean, I, that was that's ridiculous to hold somebody out yeah. based off that alone. <laughs> I know. It's not even a what is it even about? It's the thing is it's just very it, anybody's vote is going to be based on a number of arbitrary reasons and right. I don't know. I think, or I think at one point it was called into question that American players wouldn't vote for foreign players as much as they would their own American players. And that's also not correct. You know, it's just, it's a whole lot of gossip and it really, really made the pro community look bad. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I just, there's so much mudslinging. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just better to, not talk crap about people, especially behind their backs. Well, at the end of the day, it's just a game and it is an honor to be nominated alone for the hall of fame. But so Mm -hmm. a lot of the pros erupted on Twitter saying that their livelihoods have been in question. So that's another issue I've got. If you're, if you're playing this game as a sole means of income, which wizards has stated multiple times that they are against and they want to discourage that when it becomes more than just a game and you're, you're throwing things like, Oh, well you've, you've, threaten my livelihood you need to have a wake-up call right there i mean it's a game you know we're trying Mm -hmm. to achieve to go to the highest level to go to the pro tour but never in our million years do we need to make this a job you know then it becomes way too passionate at least not just based on our our tournament winnings alone exactly usually you have to pair it with like writing or working for some other kind of company. Like I know Cedric Phillips works for uh, ultimate guard, you know, right. Something like that. You know, that's right. the best way to do it. I believe just playing yeah. off of tournament winnings alone is just not really possible. Yeah, It's just, so. you just become way too prideful. And I will admit that there are a lot of people that are better than me. I am nowhere near what is classified a pro yeah. by any means. But as far as like people, like I think one of the, um, 
draws to this game was everybody was kind of on an even level as people, you know, yeah. you know, we're, I guess we're technically classified as nerds, but I mean, that's not a negative thing. <laughs> you know, everybody, nerd, yeah, you go, you go meet new people, you go meet interesting, nice people, like the people who let it go to their head that they're pros or they're better and all that stuff. And then they start trashing other people's, you know, personalities or accusing them of this and that because they lost or something. That's when it becomes ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess the idea of someone having a lifetime invitation to the pro tour is just driving all these pros crazy because they yeah. all really want it so bad. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the like golden they ticket. They well, can act the like they ticket. don't care, but they really do. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if you get, I think you get an appearance fee too. So if you're in the hall of fame, you get free invite and then they pay you $1,500 just to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't a, know. it's, it's the dream of, of every, you know, magic player that's on the pro tour right now, you know? Yeah. I, I will say the game has some holes and, you know, Watsy can fix them or try to make strives to fix them and they haven't. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I feel like the things that have been called into questions are all fixable for Watsy yeah. if they care. Otherwise they're just going to let the player community tear itself apart eventually. Yeah. So we were talking about a little bit about this early. So or earlier, a, uh, Big one of the big problems that has arisen with a lot of these complaints pros have been taking issue with each other on is slow play. So basically, one player is accused of stalling and trying to get a draw or things like that. So, one solution that some people have suggested is, and this has been suggested multiple times over the years, is a chess clock. What are your thoughts on a chess clock? So a chess clock um, is one of those things where it could work. I don't know if it will. It's one of those things where they would need to test it and like work out the kinks before implementing such a thing. Yeah. I don't think that we absolutely have to have a chess clock. I think the main answer right now is for judges to be a little bit more strict on time policies and they need to be strict for everybody, not just non pros and pros, you know, cause on, on, um, camera it's very easily noticed that some people take forever to play like i watched one game where a pro took five minutes to make up one decision and play one card and that's that's not fair to the opponent because then the opponent's having to rush to play into this pro who knows the game very well and so i feel like you need to make it as even as possible to discourage slow playing as a strategy because a lot of people do use it as a strategy yeah especially pros i feel like pros can get away with it a lot more Oh, yeah, because because they're probably, you know, if they're behind, then they can just pick up real fast and play fast. And that's how you know the people who use it as a strategy versus the people who are just naturally slow players. If a pro can just pick up and play just as flawlessly fast, but, you know, game one, he was playing really slow, then you know he was using it as a strategy. He wasn't just naturally slow. Yeah, I think some judges may have a hard time walking up to a pro, giving them a warning, and then, you know... Yeah, no, I agree. It's very biased. On their second violation, you know, they... They don't want to be the guy who who gave you know somebody a. I'll, I'll use Owen Turtenwald as an example because he's not a slow player at all. Right. They don't want to. They don't want to give Owen Turtenwald a loss for soaps for slow play. You know, yeah, because then it goes all over Twitter that you know this guy called judge on me for slow playing blah blah blah, and then all of a sudden that guy gets chastised in the community, right? Yeah. Of course, so, I mean, Owen would never lose. Owen would never get a game loss for slow play because he's a very fast player. 
but that's why I'm using him as an example. Yeah, I feel like if, if, <laughs> if you're at a big event and you feel yeah. like you're getting slow played, please do not hesitate to call a judge. That is your right as a player, and you don't need yeah. to take a round loss because of it. Don't feel intimidated at all. Yeah, for sure. That's what judges are supposed to do. The rule is it, it, they're given your opponent is given one warning, and then if they violate it again, that is a game loss. Yep. So... But judges and, judges usually hesitate to do that though. So maybe they'll I mean, be more strict. You're paying you're paying your money and you're committing your time the same as every other player. Don't be bullied by a pro. You know, simple. Yep. Judge that's what the judges are there for. So a chess clock, okay. So it definitely would be very complex to implement. So especially okay, picture it at like a Grand Prix. Like you'd need like usually there's what, sixteen hundred people? Oh yeah. Your average Grand Prix. You'd need like 800 chess clocks for the medium size. Yeah, oh, it, it would get real expensive for Watsy to do. I mean, yeah. I think like um, just stricter judge calls yeah. is probably a better. And unfortunately, like some pros are going to have to be made example of. I think it's inevitable yeah. because they're going to start calling judges, they, especially after this. There needs to be a pro that's given a game loss, like yeah. for real. I could. When that happens, I feel like a lot of the pros will start taking it more seriously. I right. I mean, like, I play control, and, you know, I think all through all the lines, I've never actually, you know, gone to time or tried to draw out a round. Yeah. I'm one of those people where if the time's running short and I know I'm beaten, I'm going to scoop. I'm not going to try to draw out the tie just to, like, draw out the tie and be a dick. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So another question about, about the whole chess clock thing is what if we – I heard some people mentioning this on Reddit. What if – the chess clock is only implemented either in professional REL only as in like at a pro tour or day two of a grand prix or only in certain situations in professional REL when a time limit is reached, then basically players have to both start playing with the chess clock. So, so the the problem with that is you can't, that's a real fine line too, because at some events you don't use it, some events you do, or only if you day to a GP, like, I mean, that's not healthy either. It's either all or nothing, right? Cause you got to make everybody play on the same playing field. Otherwise you're being biased towards pros. Yeah. Again, you know, it doesn't solve anything. Yeah. I mean, I, overall, I I think I'm against a chess clock. Like I, I think right now I am too. I think I am all for judges being more strict on time warnings though. Yeah, I agree completely. Like there may be maybe some instances where maybe like a customized clock that's designed specifically for magic. Like Mm. instead of going to the five extra turns, maybe players are given a chess clock instead in certain situations, like in the final rounds of a pro tour or something like that. And they're right. each given like three minutes. And then if either whoever runs out of time loses or, you know. Well, I don't mind the, the go to turns rule at all. It's it's yeah. literally the things that I have a problem with is saying, let's use um, Owen Turtenwald as an example again. Say Owen's playing a deck and he takes his full time plus some. So like he takes mm-hmm. three to four minutes per turn and just doesn't get a judge call on him. He's taken up 70 to 80% of the total round time, leaving his opponent with 20% to play really fast. And his opponent's going to make some misplays because he's not going to have the same amount of time to think through. Otherwise, they're going to tie. And both players aren't playing for the tie. You know, they're playing to win. And Owen Turtenwald, knowing that he's probably more experienced than the other player, can use that to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. And I think, you know, it's, there's going to have to be some sort, some pro out there that's given a game loss. Because I feel no, like I the agree. pros are kind of calling the judges bluffs on, on this thing a lot of time. They're like, you guys don't ever give us game losses anyway because we're pros. So, 
Mm-hmm. Do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so. just don't get intimidated. A lot of people get intimidated because they're playing against a pro. Yeah. So they get focused in that game, and then they they forget that they can call a judge on slow plays. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a problem, but I feel like that would be a easy, an easy fix for it. So. Yeah, it, it is a very fixable problem. It's just whether or not, you know, this was enough to open Watsy's eyes and be like, okay, well, we've got to address this. Well, yeah, we'll see how all that goes. But anyways... Yeah. Good luck to everyone at their RPTQs this weekend. Hopefully, if you are in the top eight and uh, you've got one game to go, you don't lose like I did. <laughs> so, uh, good luck to everyone and just play Red Block, man. I'm telling you. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence.